welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 265, 266, that's what I meant to say, because that's the episode that it is. Thanks for listening. Welcome back everybody. As I'm recording this, it is getting ready to snow again at my house, um, or maybe I should say it is about to continue snowing because even though there have been breaks between the snow it doesn't really feel like it has actually ever stopped snowing since i don't know 1998 now i should preface well it's too late to preface it i guess i should follow that up by saying that i do not live in texas and i don't want to compare my annoyance at the snow that i'm getting where i live to what's going on there it's horrendous and it's awful and there's lots of finger pointing to be done not just at mother nature so if you're in uh, that area i hope you're doing okay and uh if nothing else we should remember that weather is nothing to make light of even though i just did and uh it's all the more important that we uh keep the weather in mind keep environmental issues in mind start really having serious thoughts about uh, serious thoughts and actions about how we prepare for weather and how we deal with extremes in weather and why those extremes are happening and what we can do to help Mother Nature help us not have to experience what they're experiencing in Texas right now. That was a long rambling bit that I wasn't planning on doing. I'll just kind of leave it there. Not least of which because I don't know if it actually made any sense. I'll let you guys decide that. Got some feedback from you guys. I appreciate that. Our old buddy Sean had thoughts about Rubik's Cube or Atari Video Cube, whatever you prefer to call it, which we played last week on the show. He posted on the Patreon page, which you guys can too if you uh, become subscribers on Patreon. Holy cow, man. I love the Rubik's Cube and had one when it was popular. I assume he means the physical plastic Rubik's Cube. But never learned how to properly solve it until I was a junior or senior in high school, circa 91-92. Even then, it took me a few minutes, nowhere near as fast as Henry. I did put up a video of uh, Henry solving the cube in, you know, with the little bit of delay from starting the video to him starting the cube, and, and uh, you know, a couple seconds probably at the end of the video. He was under 40 seconds. I don't know what his fastest time is, but it's around 30 seconds. I've seen him do it. It's impressive. I also had a Rubik's Cube as a kid, like many of us did. I think I might have solved it once. I had, like, a book that would tell you step by step, here's how you can solve the Rubik's Cube. And I, it still didn't help me a whole lot. I, could, I got to where I could do a couple sides pretty well. And then either I would get bored or frustrated or both. And like I said, I, I don't, I, I'm sure I probably finished it at some point, nowhere near 30 seconds. But it was one of those things, right? That just, uh, you see it sitting there and you got to pick it up and mess with it. So I totally get it, Sean. Thanks for the comment. Friend of the show and Patreon supporter Jose gave a shout out to Henry and his Rubik's solving skills. Jose was impressed. In fact, that was his comment. Impressive, he said. I can never do more than two or three sides. Props to Henry for learning that skill. Thank you, Jose. I may or may not pass that on to Henry. He already likes to uh, point out where he's cooler than his old man, and I don't really want to give him any more ammunition. But thanks for the comment anyway. Friend of the show and Patreon supporter Patrick McCarthy has also been tweeting about the podcast. I appreciate that. He was very nice recently to tweet at me and the world. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Atari Bytes. Um, you can also follow Patrick at P-A-T-N-Y-R. He wrote uh, recently, wanted to give a shout out to one of my favorite podcasts at Atari Bytes, the host, Bill. Hey, that's me. 
reviews great, not so great, and some super rare Atari games, also in television and others. Yeah, it's pretty much just Atari in, in television. I've not really brought in any other uh, game systems into the podcast. Not to say I wouldn't at some point, but I haven't at this point. There have been a couple bonus Patreon-type things where I've played board games, actually, but uh, no, no other video games, unless Henry happens to be playing a, a game on his phone when he's on the show. Patrick uh, concludes in this tweet, It's also a fun storytelling podcast. If you're an 80s kid or one at heart, it's worth a listen. Big thanks uh, for that, Patrick. It's been retweeted, retweeted a little bit, uh, which I appreciate. Um, any, any, I'm always happy to hear nice things about the podcast. Of course, I'm also always really excited about any, you know, any exposure the show can get. So anytime you guys feel in the mood to retweet something I said or mention me in a, a post, you know what, I'm not going to say no. Every week when the podcast social media posts go up, letting you guys know, hey, the new episode is out, I always copy that to my It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, a social media as well. There is some crossover between you folks who listen to this podcast and a lot of you also listen to the uh, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown podcast. And if you're not, you should, because let's face it, we're all to some degree fans of Peanuts, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, uh, all of those guys. And uh, I spend some time every month digging deep into Peanuts and uh, you guys should check it out. So when I posted that episode 265, Rubik's Cube, was up on the uh, It's a Podcast Charlie Brown Facebook page, David Evans had a comment. I was in the Atari Club at the time. Not sure if they were giving that for free to the club. I had it. It was awkward. Yeah, I mean, Atari Video Cube, quote-unquote, was a giveaway for the uh, video club, for the Atari Club. I was not a member of that club. If anybody else was and you remember getting this game for free, let me know. I had to agree with David that uh, it's awkward doing a Rubik's Cube on a TV screen. It, it doesn't replace holding the physical thing. Yeah, it's just not. It's just not the same, man. So thanks for the comment, David. If anyone else has thoughts about Rubik's Cube, or anything else for that matter, you know how to reach me. Let's get on to this week's game, which will seem very familiar. This week's game is Rubik's Cube... 3D. That's right. Last week we played Rubik's Cube 2D. 2D's for suckers, man. We're moving up to 3D this week. Atari made a 3D version of the Rubik's Cube game. Thankfully, no Marvin the Elf or whatever the hell that guy's name was in this one. But it's Rubik's Cube, and it it looks for 1982. It looks fairly 3D on the screen. My understanding is that they didn't release this one. Although I did find a manual for it, they opted to go with the 2D version instead. My sense from the sort of half-assed research that I've done is that no one's entirely sure why, but they did. This 3D version was discovered later, and now we have a chance to take a look at it. If nothing else, the cover on the manual, which promises us an exciting mind-bender, the picture of the cube is pretty cool. I do like that. We're told to insert the cartridge into the uh, 2600 label facing you, and reading right side up. Be sure the cartridge is firmly seated in the center slot, but do not force it. That's what she said. Then flip the power switch to the on position so you're in manual for their details. Blah, blah, blah. Restore all six sides of the original color in this mesmerizing 3D translation of the hit puzzle game synonymous with the 80s. The game can be played in two modes and two speeds. Normal speed, player one switch to set to easy. Faster speed, player one switch set to hard. Speed can be changed at any time. Normal mode, player zero switch set to hard. Cheat mode, player zero switch set to easy. Colors can only be changed in cheat mode. This is where I start to get confused, frankly. Colors can only be changed in cheat mode, and slices 
I don't really like that term, but I don't know what else to call the individual, um, you know, the, the three three lines of a side. They call them slices. We'll just go with it. Colors can be only uh, can only be changed in cheat mode, and slices can be rotated only in normal mode. It is possible to change the mode at any time. Use the fire button to switch between options. Turn cube, pick face, and either pick color in the cheat mode, or turn slice in the normal mode. And all these different options appear at the bottom of the screen. Use the four joystick directions to turn the cube, pick a face, change the color of the selected face, or turn the slice of the selected face. I didn't try this, but the game has a special solve option which will solve the cube. However, colors must not have been changed. Any face whose color has been changed using the cheat mode must be restored to its initial color. It is not possible to swap colors even if the cube can still be solved. If the solve option is tried after one color is changed, a yellow background will appear to warn the player that the option cannot be used. I would think red would be a better warning color, but they didn't ask me. There is no way to restore the colors automatically. The solve option, available when colors are not changed, can be turned on using the game select switch. It is possible to return to play mode using this switch. The cube will be solved in step-by-step -step mode, either in normal or fast speed, depending on the position of the player 1 switch. When fire is pressed constantly, the cube solves by itself until fire is released. When solving, the program shows the direction of each rotation performed. The normal mode lets you rotate a slice once you have selected a face. Since there are six possible rotations for four joystick directions, the program must show the direction of the rotation. This is done by three color shifts from face to face until the desired configuration is reached. The copyright on this manual is 1988. And that is how you play Rubik's Cube 3D. Unless you're as confused as I am. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast. All about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. I think the problem with these directions is that you're trying to do a puzzle that is, by design, a three-dimensional physical thing that you can hold in your hand and turn and you know move your head and look around at things. As you're turning, use both your hands to turn the different slices. And you're trying to translate all that onto a screen, even if it is 3D. And then beyond that, you're trying to translate those movements into written words. Here's how you do it. Language fails you, I think, in trying to translate this into words. And I didn't totally get it. Henry did the field report. You'll notice that uh, he more or less quits halfway through the field report because he was frustrated. I think he understood the mechanism of how the game works, but he didn't like the mechanism, so he kind of gave up. The, the limitation of trying to give directions how to do this cube on a screen makes me appreciate the fact that when Henry is solving the physical cube, he's using algorithms rather than written instructions. Hey, man. Henry just walked in.
do you want to tell people what you didn't like about the 3D Rubik's Cube? You couldn't turn it. Here, here. You couldn't turn it. What do you mean you couldn't turn it? I couldn't turn it. It wouldn't pick up that I was moving the joystick. So that kind of gets back to what I was just saying to the people. There's different modes. One where you, you can turn these slices. They call them slices. The, yeah, well, I, uh, well that, it did it for all of them. But what I'm saying is there's one mode where you can do that. There's another mode where you can pick a, a, a face or a color. And I was just saying how the instructions are very... It's hard to translate what you do with a Rubik's Cube into words, you know? And I was just about to say how, like, when you do the cube, you're using algorithms, right? Which are kind of like math formulas, uh, rather than saying, now turn this side here, now do this, now do that. And I think it works better to actually physically hold a cube. It was terrible. And do that. Henry, we're already jumping to Henry's review, since I don't know how long he'll be here. The terrible cube. Did you like the one last week? Yeah. The 2D version. Yeah. You thought that was okay. Yeah. But you're not a fan of the 3D version. No. Because it's hard to move the the slices. Yes. Okay. I'll say more about this later, I guess, but I think I prefer the 2D version also, which may be why Atari didn't release this one, why they went with the 2D version to begin with. Atari Age calls this one an astonishing 3D version of the game. Prototype was found in 2002 by David Winter and came as a surprise as its, exist as its existence was not previously known. This version of the game includes a solve option will allow you to challenge, uh, change the colors of individual tiles. We can only speculate as to why this version of the game was passed over in favor of the 2D version eventually released. Well, I think Henry and I have already pretty much told you why they passed over this one. Atari Protos goes into this a little bit. They say that programmer Peter Niday was working as a tester in Atari's lab when he decided to develop a 3D Rubik's Cube game in his spare time. Atari managers eventually saw his little project and decided that he was too good to be working as a mere tester. He was promoted to a full-fledged programmer a short time later, but instead of finishing up the 3D experiment, Atari threw him into the higher-priority Sorcerer's Apprentice project instead. Atari opted to go with the Atari Video Cube instead, perhaps thinking that the market wasn't strong enough for two separate Rubik's Cubes-themed games. Atari Protos concludes that Atari couldn't figure out how the player would choose between the two games. 3D Rubik's Cube was the, used the select switch, so that was out of the question. And for technical reasons, a menu system wasn't feasible. The two solutions Atari came up with were to either hold down the select and reset switches at the same time, or to have a second joystick plugged in. In the end, marketing decided that it was easier to just release one of the games, and Atari Video Cube was chosen, most likely due to Atari Video Cube having a bit more action than the puzzle the pure puzzle nature of 3D Rubik's Cube. I don't know, but is that additional action just that goofy little elf thing? I guess. Did you like the little elf, Henry? Is no, it, it wasn't needed. Yeah, you probably can't hear that on the mic, but Henry's, uh, despite the fact that he likes the 2D version better, the elf was not needed, and I agree with that. Atari Protoss seems to be a big fan of the solve mode. If the player gets too frustrated, they can choose to have the computer solve the cube for them. Yes, the 2600 is smarter than you. However, players cannot activate the solve mode if the colors have been altered in the clear and cheat mode, so you have to put them back into the original configuration first. This was to prevent players from building unsolvable cubes with the cheat mode. There's always one cheat to ruin it for everybody. Unfortunately, there is no way to automatically restore the colors, so it's up to the player to remember what they changed. The solve mode is a step-by-step -step demonstration controlled by the fire button and shows the player each move it's making. This way, players can learn what they did wrong and become better Rubik's Cube solvers. The graphics are amazing. 
They may have some rough jagged edges, but each square on the cube is displayed at the proper angle to give a true 3D perspective. Sound effects are pretty standard for a puzzle game. A little victory song upon, upon solving the cube. No chance that I'm going to hear that anytime soon. And a nasty crashing sound when the solve mode fails. The only problem with 3D Rubik's Cube is the game is just as tedious as the real-world puzzle. Why would players waste their time screwing around with a simulated puzzle, especially with the awkward controls, when they could just pick up the real thing? The game is proof that just because you can digitize something doesn't necessarily mean you should. Alright, so we've been making a big deal about how this game is in 3D, right? Three dimensions. What are the three dimensions? Henry, what are the three dimensions? With length and height. Yes, you probably still can't hear him because he's not on the mic, but width, length, and height. Or, well, width, height, and depth, actually. I don't care. <laughs> but, is that all the dimensions that there are? There's also a fourth dimension. Mental Floss had an article wondering what a string theorist would say about how many dimensions there are. According to this branch of theoretical physics, there are at least 10 dimensions of space, most of which are impossible for humans to perceive. The spatial dimensions, width, height, and depth, are the easiest to visualize. A horizontal line exists in one dimension because it only has length. A square is two-dimensional because it has length and width. Add depth and we get a cube, or a three-dimensional shape. We know it dots altitude, longitude, latitude, and position in time. We have the tools needed to plot its existence in the universe as we know it. Physicists who are big on string theory, however, say that there's more reality than we can observe. Scientists have tweaked the math to include 10 dimensions, 11 including time. So where are those dimensions hiding? Well, they're not, apparently. They're just as real as the big dimensions we can see. But the extra dimensions are curled up so tightly they're too small for us to notice. Well-known string theorist, which is a weird sentence to say, but, but he is. I know who this guy is. String theorist Brian Greene did a TED Talk in 2005 comparing the invisible dimensions to cables connected to telephone poles. From a window, a wire looks like a one-dimensional line, but if we were to study it up close, we'd see that the cord is actually round, making it three-dimensional. String theory says there are at least ten dimensions plus time, but other physicists say that there are more. Some posit a universe composed of eleven space dimensions, but to really blow someone's mind when they ask how many dimensions there are, say twenty-six. That's the magic number according to bosonic string theory, and it's as high as mainstream physicists are willing to go for the time being. There you go. I was kind of hoping this article would tell me what those other dimensions are, but uh, I guess it's enough for us to say that three dimensions may not be, be all there is, so I am holding, I, I am waiting patiently for a homebrew. Atari Rubik's Cube 26D. Make it happen, everybody. All right, after the break, Rubik's Cube 3D. No glasses required or pants. So welcome to the Rubik's Cube 3D field report, already in progress. Henry's already started on this cube. What do you think so far, Henry? Yeah, that's kind of a fair reaction. Um, the 3D for 1982 looks pretty cool. The cube is a weird shape, but uh, you know, it's just a function of the 3D. Um, I messed with this a little bit earlier. I find it a little awkward. But the idea of doing the Rubik's Cube on a TV screen just feels awkward to me. So, Henry's almost got the blue side. 
As with the other Rubik's Cube game, there's not much audio. No music. This one at least doesn't have the weird little Marvin elf thing. Getting there. version where you select a, a slice. I don't really like the term slice, but I guess I don't know what else I would call it. I believe there is a solve mode where you can give up and just have the computer solve it for you. But I don't see Henry doing that. Yeah, the controls are a little awkward. by Rubik's Cube 3D. Well, you can't turn it! He finds the controls a little awkward. We'll discuss this more in the episode. This may be a clue why they didn't release this version. Back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in love, twisted car races, and the aforementioned devilish breakfast food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, in words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Rubik's Cube. Henry has wandered away, but he already gave you his review. Uh, he does not like Rubik's Cube 3D. kind of liked regular Rubik's Cube, or at least tolerated it. I'm kind of with him on that. 3D, I don't like the 3D one. The 3D, looking at 3D on a 1982 game is kind of cool, I guess, but it doesn't do much for me in terms of gameplay. I found it a little awkward. I actually found the 2D version less awkward, but still way less fun than a regular Rubik's Cube, a physical Rubik's Cube. So I would suggest, you know, if you have to spend your money on a Rubik's Cube type thing, go spend it on just a regular cube. You can probably get them at any garage sale but for someone who lived in the 80s along with some parachute pants and a Spuds McKenzie t-shirt. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time. 
with Bill. This week's short story is titled, 3D-Nied. Slim's hand slid lightly over Delilah's. Are you sure about this? Delilah asked. The math checks out, Slim said. But you said it was impossible, Delilah protested. I thought it was, Slim said. A weary sigh rippled the flatlands that spread out before them. I don't think that anymore. Delilah shifted, uneasy. Her gaze locked straight ahead, as usual. If news of what you discovered gets out, I know, Slim snapped. The world as we know it will cease to... I said I know. Slim was exhausted, frayed around the edges. But if we lie, what good are we? Delilah fluttered across the room, then turned back. So you won't fold on this? You're really going to tell the world? Slim's face creased with determination. I am. And that night, Slim did. The audio track went out across the screens in every home, car, and personal device. Slim's words played out over a series of images he compiled to make his case. Good citizens, I know you've been on edge. Waiting for an explanation about the strange phenomenon we've all experienced. The sensation of stepping out of the walls, walking around furniture, and even the truly frightening... Slim paused, still struggling to absorb the enormity of what he was about to say. He leaned forward, the microphone to his side, which he knew because of, the, because of this weird thing he could now do with his eyes. The ability to look around, he continued. I know many of you are experiencing peripheral vision, seeing things to either side, when before you had only to trust that they were there. More than that, you turn to look at objects. You see things you always knew were there, but couldn't see. The sky above, the floor below. You know how far away the plate of spaghetti is, and rarely does the spaghetti fork miss your face. Slim reached out, and there the microphone was. I know what's causing it, friends. I do. We are experiencing three dimensions. We are no longer limited to knowing simply how tall and wide our children are. We now know their depth. We know the diameter of meatballs. We see the space that the meatballs and the children fill. We actually occupy more space. Mm -hmm. The images on all those screens drew the eyes of the citizens. Ships on the ocean headed over the horizon. Rocket ships headed to Mars. A dog leaving a plump poop on the newspaper thrown onto the stoop by a paper carrier now moving down the sidewalk visibly farther away. That poop had a presence the citizens of this world had never experienced before. A stench, sure. That had always been there. But this was new. The valleys and ridges of the poop were defined in a way these people weren't used to. But... They liked it. So much so, the townsfolk were inspired to seek out the new three-dimensional dookies the now three-dimensional pets of the world were leaving with great gusto. They cupped those poops in their hands. Flat no more. Then they chucked those turds at Slim's window, chanting vile epithets as they did so. I've gone too far, he told Delilah, panicking. You think? She said, measuring exactly how much wild turkey was left in the bottle, now that she could do so. Slim tried slipping himself into an envelope to mail himself to safety, but parcel rates are a lot higher than flat rates, and Slim couldn't afford it. There's not a lot of money in turning civilization on its head, even if you can. There's something to learn there, as there is with all quality poop. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. 
When you are done here, come visit us in the vertical blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can stick with the two dimensions of Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review of the show. Your review will help other people see that this show exists, even if it lacks depth. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. And you can call and leave a voicemail too, if you like. 563-265-1978. Leave a message about pretty much anything you want, and I'll probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links to this show, my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, and info about books that I've written, including Hell Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, and links to just a few of the places that you can order those books. You should also consider supporting the show financially by subscribing on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. Subscribers get stuff. Um, You can get access to episodes early. You can get bonus content, which reminds me, it looks like perhaps for technical reasons, the video of this week's field report might not have audio. So just be prepared for that. If uh, you're getting the video of the field report, what you may want to do is play the audio that you're going to hear that you already heard in this episode while you watch the video if you're so inclined, and uh, and you'll be just fine. But yeah, if you're a, uh, a Patreon supporter, you can get episodes early. You can get access to bonus content, including truly awful videos of the field report and other things that we think of from time to time to put up there. At the $4 per month level, you get all that stuff, plus you get to suggest games for me to play and storyify on this show, which is how things like things happen like me having to play Porties on the podcast. Uh, Patrick, you thought I'd forgotten about that, didn't you? Um, the other thing you get to do if you're a Patreon supporter is keep an eye on the existing supporters, uh, and they need supervision. They include Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jim Goble, and Patrick McCarthy. Thank you one and all for supporting the show. Next time on Atari Bytes. Speaking of Patreon supporters, we're playing another Patrick McCarthy pick. Alien is the name of the game. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.